Amigos, amigos down there, it is me up here. Amigos, Romans, and Disney Worlders. Stop walking while I'm squawking. Caramba, we have something really big for you today. It is the world premiere of Lou Mangiello's WDW radio podcast. It is Disney entertainment at its most exciting best kind. You wait for the show right here with me. It's your Disney World information station. Get your tickets right over here for Lou Mangiello's WDW radio podcast. This has been a recording. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number two for the week of February 18th, 2007. I'm Lou Mangiello, author of the Walt Disney World Trivia Books and owner of DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Thanks for tuning in once again. I'm happy you came back for what's going to be my first full show. I really appreciate all the emails, voicemails, and posts I've received about the first kind of mini-show and I'm happy to see that you're all as excited about what's to come as I am. On this show, we're going to discuss some Disney news, visit the Walt Disney World rumor mill, answer your listener email, and talk about some trivia. I'm also going to do a piece about Walt Disney World and its connection to some real magicians, give you our very first best of the best segment, and a feature called Voices Behind the Magic with our own master of voices, Jonathan Dichter. I'm also going to play some of your voicemails near the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and let's get on with the show. In this week's news and views from Walt Disney World segment, we have just a couple of items from Walt Disney World, as well as something else that's a little bit outside the parks, but interesting nonetheless. The first bit of news is that we have the first casualty from the Year of a Million Dreams celebration. One of the things that they had brought in as part of this celebration worldwide was the Let's Have a Ball Party at the Magic Kingdom. That, as well as other interactive things like Woody's Cowboy Camp, the Main Street Family Fun Day Parade, High School Musical Pep Rally, and Captain Jack Sparrow's Pirate Tutorial were all part of things that were brought into the Magic Kingdom to kind of make it a little bit more interactive for guests. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, the Let's Have a Ball Party is now officially over. This uh, was supposed to be really the kind of happily ever after show. It took place right behind Cinderella Castle with Lady Lucinda and her little sidekick, Simon. And this was really something to kind of get parents and kids involved. They would have this little dance party with the Royal Remix Freeze Dance, uh, some Simon Says, the Grand Waltz, of course, all leading up to the entrance and introduction of Aurora and Prince Philip. Well, as of February 24th, that show is now going to be gone. I wonder if this is indicative of the of just this show not doing well or just not gaining interest or uh, possibly something grander. Is are, are these interactive shows not as popular uh, as Disney had hoped? I know I've participated in both the Let's Have a Ball as well as Woody's Cowboy Camp, which I thought were pretty good, and the Main Street Family Fun Day Parade where people actually get picked out to be part of the parade 
definitely seems to be doing well. So this might just be um, specific to the let's have a ball party. Over in Epcot, there's a number of restaurant rehabs that are, that are notable. Uh, the first is El Rio del Tiempo. While the restaurant is be, isn't being closed, we know that the pavilion um, and, El, and the ride itself is closed for the introduction of the Three Caballeros themed overlay. Also in World Showcase, Mitsukoshi Teppanyaki is going to close from March 11th through July 14th, which is pretty lengthy. The Rose and Crown Dining Room is going to close from February 21st through March 14th. Le Cellier is closed for refurbishment from May 14th through 18th, and Lotus Blossom is going to close down through March 11th. Now, I mention this because I'm wondering if this is indicative of maybe what may be coming down the pike. Is this a part of a park-wide overhaul in time for the unfortunately non-existent 25th anniversary of Epcot celebration. So I wonder if they really are doing more in the parks that they are leading on to, to kind of maybe um, freshen Epcot up uh, in time for, for this celebration that really isn't going to take place. Speaking of Epcot and Future World, the post-show changes over at Spaceship Earth are taking place supposedly quite nicely, and the Siemens sponsorship and the total refurb is going to be ready to be opened sometime this spring. From what I am understanding, Siemens has plunked a lot of money into this post-show area. It is going to be nothing like the global neighborhood that you may or may not remember from the old AT&T days. I know, and for one, am pretty excited to see what they're going to put there. It is a large space, and again, from what I've heard from cast members, uh, Siemens really is doing a lot to make this uh, quite an interesting exhibit. Speaking of refurbishments and updates, I mentioned earlier that the Mexico Pavilion in World Showcase is closed and it is getting an upgrade to the El Rio del Tiempo ride where they're going to bring in the characters from the three Caballeros. Some of the details that have been started to come out is that there will be a series of 16 screens in the attraction and the story is going to follow uh, Jose and Panchito as they do a search for Donald through the attraction. So it's supposed to be a very, very fun uh, ride. There's supposed to be some beautiful animations as well as animatronic figures in there. So, you know, love it or hate it, this again is one of those things where the introduction of characters into Epcot, more specifically World Showcase, is definitely taking place. Speaking of characters in and around Epcot, this week over at the Epcot Character Connection in Interventions, construction walls have gone up for what I understand is going to be a pretty lengthy refurbishment and upgrade of the character meet and greet location. There are temporary character meet-and-greet areas in other parts of Interventions West, but this just goes to show Disney's commitment to continuing to bring characters over to Epcot, love it or hate it. Remember, when Epcot first opened, there were no characters in there at all. It was supposed to be very, very separate and apart from the Magic Kingdom, where characters could be found. Epcot was supposed to be the park of discovery and education, and that's why there were no characters there initially at, at all, when Michael Eisner came on board, he went to the park, wondered why there wasn't any characters, and immediately demanded that they started to be brought over. Well, that is what is happening now, and it's starting to happen on a much, much wider and grander scale. Nice segue, Lou, into discussion about Turtle Talk, and this is again the, not only the characterization of, but Pixarization of pavilions and areas in and around Walt Disney World. Well, the new Turtle Talk Theater opened up on February 17th, and there's also a new pre-show area that has a lot of different interactive kiosks with things like Mr. Ray's Pop Quiz, things like that. On the second floor of the pavilion, uh, they've also done some work as well. The old Turtle Talk Theater is now behind construction walls. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Are they going to reopen this maybe as a second theater? 
I don't know. I'd be very curious to hear from people what they think of the Turtle Talk with Crush in the new venue. And if you have seen it, if you have any comments, please let me know. Send an email to lou at wdwradio.com or call our voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. I mentioned at the top of this segment some news from around Disney that really takes place on a much more grander scale. Uh, The chairman of Disney's Parks and Resorts, Jay Rizzullo, mentioned at an investor conference at the Walt Disney Resort, looking into both niche theme parks, urban hotels, as well as additional ships for the Disney Cruise Line. He was outlining what is known as some of Disney's blue sky concept. And over at Imagineering, where all these designs take shape, a blue sky concept or a blue sky concept session is where some of these ideas are flushed out and and really there is no limit. So something that's discussed there or brought up there or even brought to the point where there's concept art may or not be built. It may or not be integrated into a parks. Elements of it may or may not come in. You never know. It's just kind of out there or something that Disney's considering. But the fact that he mentioned some of these things is very, very interesting. One thing that he mentioned was the idea of building Disney water parks domestically or abroad outside of Walt Disney World. He also talked about, and this is the part that really intrigues me, is building Disney resort properties outside places like Anaheim and Orlando, as well as urban hotels and cities that are major tourist destinations for families. He said, quote, we could build destination resorts in exotic locations or boutique branded hotels at a variety of price points. So this would give you the other Disney branded options for vacations outside of having to go to Walt Disney World or Disneyland. He also mentioned briefly talking about new theme park ideas like a niche park that would serve a smaller audience in a smaller setting. It would be a, you know, pay one price kind of place that people can go and kind of draw from Disney stories as well as their characters, um, include a lot of interactive shows, one-on-one experiences and things like that. Something else that he mentioned was that Disney was quote-unquote primed for growth beyond its two ships, the Magic and the Wonder, uh, fueling rumors that Disney may be getting ready to announce the building of a third ship as part of Disney's cruise line. Now, I'm going to let this segue me right into the Walt Disney World rumor mill because this ties into something that I was going to touch on in that section. With the discussion about some of these vacation options outside of Anaheim and outside of Orlando, Rumors have once again begun to swell about new theme parks, Disney purchasing land uh, all over the country from Texas to Virginia to Vail, Colorado to upstate New York. There are, it seems like there are more of these, you know, secret pun filled named Disney dummy corporations who are buying up everything that isn't basically a golf course or graveyard. Uh, people are swearing up and down that they know that Disney's coming to Texas. They know that Disney's coming to Niagara Falls. But I think we all need to kind of slow down because this is not necessarily going to be true. However, I did want to touch on what they talked about, about some of these niche hotels and maybe even smaller venue theme parks. I think Disney would likely maybe want to test the waters with a themed hotel and maybe a, a tourist destination and shopping village, something like a downtown Disney or a Disney you know, marketplace in some of these other locations around the country. And I think the idea of bringing the magic to the people is one that I applaud and and personally look forward to. Because think about it, for people that can't get to Walt Disney World every year or every couple of years need to save up in order to go on one of these vacations. The idea of a weekend trip by car 
to one of these destinations that may be somewhat close by is just what the doctor ordered. I mean, in fact, technically they have it now on a much smaller scale. And if you're wondering what I mean, think of Vero Beach and Hilton Head. These are home of two of Disney's DVC resorts outside of Orlando. But think about this on a bigger, grander, and much more, again, I use the term, magical scale. Think about how well the Adventures by Disney is doing. And this is where you can kind of follow the magic to Italy, France, destinations all throughout, you know, North and Central America and Europe with having these tour guides. Disney has has started to demonstrate to themselves that they can do it. They kind of capture that magic and bring it to wherever they go. So think about it this way. Would you go to a Disney resort or, dare I say, even a DVC resort in Jamaica or St. Martin? I know that I would not only choose a Disney resort in one of those locations, but it might even prompt me to go to a destination that I might not have considered Otherwise, because there is a Disney-themed hotel there, because I know it's a place that I can take my family and have a good time, so maybe I would go to Chicago or to Phoenix or Branson, Missouri or New Orleans, a perfect location to bring that. Help, Disney would actually be able to help some of these places bring in a whole new demographic of tourists. I, I recently appeared on the Mouse Times Disney podcast with John Crigliano, and we were discussing about how Disney was really looking to go global with both its marketing efforts and its dollars. And I think this is partially how they're going to do it, not by building the multi-billion dollar theme parks, but with smaller locations around the globe. And and internationally, I think they're going to definitely start to focus more on the Asian workplace. Domestically, imagine bringing Disney's boardwalk to Asbury Park, New Jersey. And for those of you that know Asbury Park, at one point, it was, you know, the sure destination to go. It unfortunately fell into hard times and awful, awful disrepair. Imagine Disney coming in and buying a property there and building a hotel and building that kind of promenade on the boardwalk. Imagine a downtown Disney destination in Chicago or an indoor water park near the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. It's not, this is not Disney Quest. I'm not talking about Disney Quest, which, which obviously we know did not do well in some of these venues, but the magic of a mini Disney theme park or, or that hotel experience that you can't get in any other kind of hotel as you stay out, minus that theme park aspect. I mean, would you go to a somewhat local Disney destination to wander down Main Street, USA, enjoy a meal at Primetime Cafe, and later on at night, enjoy the nightlife of Pleasure Island? You bet I would. And, you know, who knows? Maybe a smaller themed park a la Disney's America that never got built over here on the Atlantic coast might not be that far off after all. So Imagineering, if you're listening, dust off those plans because all I can say is if you build it, we will come. If you have any news or rumors that you'd like to share or discuss, send an email to lou at wdwradio.com. Send a voicemail to 206-202-4WDW, or you can post in the WDW radio message forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Okay, I want to introduce a new segment this week, and this one comes from Jonathan Dichter. You may remember that name and the voice not only from the old show, but as the new voice of WDW Radio and the guy that did our wonderful intro this week. Well, Jonathan uh, 
put together and submitted a great segment. But before I get to that, I want to talk about something else that Jonathan's doing because it came from something that I had mentioned on the old show and something that I am doing as well. I had stated earlier that uh, I had decided to uh, try and train for next year's Walt Disney World Half Marathon. I was inspired by Mike Scopa, a uh, friend and host of the WDW Today radio podcast, and decided that uh, I needed to do it and wanted to do it. And it looks like um, I was not the only one who was inspired because Jonathan contacted me and uh, created a blog and decided that he was going to get in shape for the January 2009 half marathon. And I applaud Jonathan's efforts because in doing so and in helping to help him lose weight, he is helping to raise money for the DisneyWorldTrivia.com Dream Team Project. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, that's something I started some time ago in an effort to raise money to try and help pediatric cancer patients and their families get a trip to Walt Disney World. And we do we do that through donations uh, and wish sponsorships through the Starlight Starbright Children's Foundation. And for more information, I'll put a link up in the show notes, but you can visit DisneyWorldTrivia.com slash Dream Team, and you can get more information about that. We have so far sent three families to Walt Disney World thanks to monies that I've taken from uh, sales, of the Walt Disney World trivia books, as well as donations, auctions that we held at last year's Magic Meet, and again, 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 do this year, um, and and just an overwhelming amount of support. So Jonathan took that one step further. He is going to have uh, people sponsor his weight loss in an effort to not only get in shape and run the marathon, but uh, hopefully be able to send a child uh, from themselves. So I'm going to put a link up to his website in the show notes as well. But Jonathan also being a uh, voice guy and a fan of the voices himself, wanted to help and submit uh, a segment his own this week. And it's called, oddly enough, The Voices Behind the Magic. And I, and I just thought it was a great idea because so many of us appreciate and I think so many actually overlook some of the great voiceover work and how that music and voices really make so many of the attractions that we love and characters that we love. So uh, Jonathan's going to focus on a voice that you will definitely recognize, not only from Walt Disney World, but from other places outside of the theme park. So without further ado, here's Jonathan Dichter and the voices behind the magic. Welcome to the voices behind the magic. This is the voice of WDW Radio Jonathan Dichter. Each week, I'll be bringing you a portrait of one of the talented voice artists who make the Disney magic come alive at Walt Disney World and in the rest of the wonderful world of Disney. The biographical information I gather will also be plussed with archival audio and other fun tidbits. It seems only fitting that for our first profile we hear from... When hinges creak in doorless chambers, Paul Freed, the man of a thousand voices. Through the halls. Born Solomon Hirschfries in Chicago, he began his acting career in 1942 and remained active for over 40 years. During this time, he was involved in more than 250 films, cartoons, and TV appearances. Some of Paul Freed's most memorable voices were for various Disney projects. Freeze voiced Disney's Professor Ludwig von Drake, beginning with the first episode of the newly renamed Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color on September 24th, 1961. 
red, yellow, green, red, blue, 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 red, purple, green, yellow, orange, red, red. Freeze also provided voices for numerous characters at the Disney parks, including the unseen ghost host in the Haunted Mansion. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Haunted Mansion. Freeze also provided voices for several audio-animatronic pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean, including the auctioneer... We anchor now, you swabbies. What be I offered for this winsome wench? Stout-hearted and corn-fed. Hey, be by the pound? Shift your cargo, dearie. Show him your larboard side. Old Bill. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Have a little old time rum with old Bill, eh? <laughs> and many others. No fear have ye of evil curses, says you. Freeze also provided narration for the Disneyland extinct Tomorrowland attraction, Adventure Through Inner Space, which ran from 1967 to 1985. They will be our only source of contact once you have passed beyond the limits of normal magnification. 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 A computer-animated singing bust in Freeze's likeness appeared in the 2003 film The Haunted Mansion as an homage. And for his contributions to the Disney legacy, Freeze was honored posthumously as a Disney legend on October 9th, 2006. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to our dramatization of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Although I would be remiss if I did not mention other companies Mr. Freeze worked for. I knew I forgot something. <laughs> Freeze was a regular presence in Jay Ward cartoons, providing the voices of Inspector Fenwick of Dudley Do-Right, the ape named Ape in George of the Jungle, and arguably his most well-known non-Disney character, Boris Badenoff from the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. You said it, Buster! Freeze is also well-remembered for many characters in the Rankin and Bass holiday television specials, including the central villain Burgermeister Meisterburger and his assistant Grimsby in Santa Claus's Coming to Town. He's also the traffic cop, ticket taker, and Santa Claus in Frosty the Snowman. Incidentally, he also provided the voices for several J.R.R. Tolkien characters, most notably the Dwarf Bomber in the Rankin and Bass animated versions of The Hobbit and The Return of the King. Hi, that'll show the pilgrimage of Boss Chess Kirby's come! Run up your white flag! You will never surrender! But to Disney fans, Paul Freeze left a legacy that There's is nearly unmatched, making him truly one of the voices behind the magic. They have selected you to fill our quota, and they'll haunt you until you return. Now I will raise the safety bar, and a ghost will follow you home. <laughs> As I mentioned on the first show, I want the WDW Radio Show to be as interactive as possible, so I want to hear from you. If you have any questions about Walt Disney World, trivia, history, secrets, or even vacation planning, please send them on to lou at wdwradio.com or call our voicemail at 206 206- 
202-4-WDW. Many of you took what I said to heart last week, and I've already received a number of emails, so we're going to go ahead this week and jump right in to our Walt Disney World mailbag with our first question from Mike, who says, Hey Lou, I'm going on my next trip to Walt Disney World on March 25th. My dad has gotten seven major back surgeries and need to take painkillers every day. My question is whether or not Disney World has anywhere on property where you can pick up prescriptions for medicine. It would be fantastic if there was. Please help me out, Mike. Well, Mike, as far as I know, there is no pharmacy on property, although, of course, there is first aid station, nurses station, doctors, etc. If you have a car, I know that there is a Walgreens as well as a number of other food stores with pharmacies in them near the Crossroads Center, which is right near downtown Disney. It's very, very close to the Walt Disney World property. And like I said, if you had to have a car, you can easily drive to it. As far as deliveries, I believe that Turner Drugs, which is on Apopka Vineland Road in Lake Buena Vista, I believe they will deliver to your hotel for a small fee, maybe around $5. You can call them just to verify. Their number is 407-828-8125. I'm also going to put links and phone numbers up in the show notes to some other local stores like CVS, Eckerd's, and Walgreens that may or may not deliver. You'll have to call them just to find out. Ryan writes in and says, Hi Lou, I'm a former cast member and feel that I always will be, but that's an entirely different subject altogether. I started working at Walt Disney World in the summer of 98 on the college program. I was an attractions host at Beauty and the Beast. I distinctly remember one of my managers talking about a restaurant that was about to be built near the entrance to the studios. As I recall, the concept was supposed to be about magic and illusions. It was going to be full service, where the guests would be surrounded by magic, such as illusions on the walls, magicians performing throughout the restaurant, and even optical illusions right there on the table. I also remember David Copperfield's name being thrown around. I returned to Walt Disney World the next summer as an attraction host at Countdown to Extinction, it's a dinosaur to you and me, and saw that the ground had been broken for what I thought was the illusion restaurant, but actually it turned out to be the future home of Fantasmic. I was wondering if you had ever heard of this, And what happened to the idea? Thanks, Ryan. Ryan, thank you for the great question. And you are correct about a magic-themed restaurant which was supposed to come to the studios but never was built. Back in 96, David Copperfield, right again, announced plans for his Copperfield's Magic Underground, which was going to be an interactive magic-themed restaurant to be built both at Walt Disney World with the first to be built in New York's Times Square. He and Disney proposed to take guests to the, quote, secret underground lair of David Copperfield on a magic adventure where they would literally experience the magic, such as levitating tables as they dine. How that would work while you're eating, I have no idea. Anyway, all those signs announcing the restaurant and a restaurant's immediate opening uh, could be seen throughout downtown Disney. Although it was set to open in the summer of 99, it never materialized. Pardon the bad pun. However, a store bearing the same name, was eventually located for a brief time in downtown Disney's west side. Now, this was relatively a big deal back in 96 when they were talking about this. It was even a front-page story in December 12, 1996 edition of the cast member newspaper Eyes and Ears. I have a copy of that. I'm going to put a a, um, picture of the front page of it up on the show notes. You're going to see Michael Eisner and David Copperfield performing a magic trick together. Michael Eisner is holding the hoop and there's some levitating 
plans that's a top-secret Copperfields Magic Underground. So anyway, construction on this was supposed to begin back in January of 97. The restaurant was going to cost a whopping $30 million. And you're right, it was going to be built near the entrance to the studios. It was going to seat 500 guests. And they weren't going to be, you know, entertained with magic tricks. There'd be traditional American as well as some international foods. Uh, I guess you're really going there more for the theming than the restaurant itself. It was going to be the second restaurant of its kind, with the first already under construction in New York's Times Square. That restaurant was 25,000 square feet, was $15 million, and was set to open in December of 96, but never did. And I think like many themed restaurants, the novelty may have been the attractiveness, and it wore off. And I think many of these themed restaurants either were never completed or, or many of them closed. I mean, remember the Fashion Cafe? Uh, that did not last very long. That very quickly tanked. And then, you know, if you see how much their models weighed, you had to wonder how good the food could really be. But anyway, Disney was very, very gung-ho about this idea. Um, they stayed, you know, Disney, as I said, they were very pleased to have, you know, Copperfield join them to bring new adventure to, to their guests in this very different kind of thing. But of course, due to some financial and other difficulties, this restaurant was never completed. The signs announcing it, its opening were very unceremoniously removed. And the magic shop uh, did last for a little bit of time. I'm going to put a link up in the show notes. You'll see an image of what the old logo used to be that you could see on some of these signs. But Ryan, your question got me to thinking about Disney and its relationship to not only David Copperfield, but some other magicians. And I thought we'd talk a little bit of trivia and, and kind of tell a fun little story about Disney and, and its relationship with somebody else. Because back in 1985, you might remember Doug Henning. He was actually hired by Disney as a consultant, in order to help find some ways to put the quote-unquote magic, literally, into its theme parks and exhibits. And he actually was able to contribute to the special effects at the Adventurers Club, which of course is the English Safari Club themed after the 1930s over at Pleasure Island, which many of us know and love, Congalouche. Well, in the late 80s, Henning kind of took this idea and wanted to expand his relationship with Disney even further because he wanted to do a joint effort with Disney to build Henning's own theme park, which is going to be called Vida Land, as in V-E-D-A-L-A-N-D. Vida is actually an Eastern term, which means knowledge. So in 1990, Henning announced that he was going to start construction on his $1 billion theme park, which was, to be, which was going to be located on 450 acres right near Walt Disney World. However, at this point, Disney wanted really nothing to do with this part of the plan, so Henning moved on to the next best thing, which was the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the founder of Transcendental Meditation. No, I'm not making this up. <laughs> Henning told the Sentinel, uh, the Orlando Sentinel, back in October 1990, that there was going to be 38 attractions themed to knowledge, enlightenment, and entertainment, and that the idea for the park actually came from the Maharishi himself. Some of these enlightened attractions would be uh, a building suspended over water without any visible supports, a magic carpet ride through the molecules of a rose, flying robots doing magic, like I said, I am not making this up, and a ride over a rainbow made only out of the mist and colors. Hmm. They would implement 15 new patented technologies, feature all kinds of new illusion techniques, and you could pretty much finish the park in over two and a half days. Of course, they'd build a 500-room hotel, and the venue was actually going to be located uh, on 192 near the intersection of I-4. It would include a kind of Disney-inspired monorail circling its perimeter. The one little difference being that it was also going to try and introduce people to transcendental, 
Transcendental Meditation, including its Seven Steps to Enlightenment. It would also be the first of one of Henning's parks to be built around the world, including places like Brazil, Canada, Japan, and the Netherlands. Okay, let's fast forward up to 1987. Clearly, no theme park was built in Orlando by Doug Henning, and not even a piece of ground had been dug up. Uh, Doug and the Maharishi changed their plans. They decided to move their project to Niagara Falls on the Canada side, since they felt that the falls were Earth's greatest natural wonder, and he wanted to create wonder for nature. Henning actually moved to Canada and ran and lost for political office using a flying yogis platform, last time I'm going to say, not making this up, which did not work. Um, although Henning pr promised that Vitaland would end recession in Canada, the theme park was never built, and I'm sure many Disney executives breathe a collective sigh of relief. So sorry to go off on that little tangent. Again, it just kind of got me thinking about uh, Disney and its magic in both a literal and figurative sense. So let's move on to a question from Jonathan, who said, I've noticed that in most shows at Walt Disney World, there's an LED bar on the back wall with words that seem to be reversed. As if, as if only to be able to be seen as if you were facing the front of the room and looking back in a mirror. Why is that? Well, Jonathan, you're exactly right. If you look in places like Muppet Vision 3D is one of the first that comes to mind. If you look on the back wall, you will see a large scrolling LED. And these are actually for hearing impaired guests which have who may have been able to get an assisted listening device, which you can pick up at any of the guest relations offices on any of the theme parks. What basically is what you said is correct. They actually have a mirror on these glasses that will allow guests to read the closed captioning that's going on behind them so they can follow along more easily uh, with that. And if for, for more information about those kind of devices, as well as assisted listening things, I'd recommend checking out allearsnet.com. Deb Wills has a, an entire section on uh, special needs as well as for uh, assisted listening and, and hearing impaired. So I'll put a link up to that in the show notes. Jessica writes it and says, My sister and I are going to Walt Disney World in July for the first time without our parents. We've been a million times, so I know the place pretty well, but now that we're going without parents, I'd like to know a good place to eat that might be fun for younger people. I'll be 21 and my sister is 17. We can go to any place that the Disney buses can go. Thanks, Jessica. Jessica, your idea has prompted me to do and answer your question in a little bit of a different manner because I think you have a great question. And in fact, I think you've brought about our very first best of the best segment, because what is the best place to eat on property for 18 to 21 year olds is a great, great question and something I'd love to share. And of course, for me, one thing that Disney is famous for in my eyes is its food options. So for people in the 18 to 21 range, the possibilities are almost endless. So here it is, our very first best of the best. What is the best place to eat on property for 18 to 21 year olds? Jessica, if you and your sister are in the theme parks, I'm going to recommend a couple of places first. If you're in uh, the Disney MGM Studios and you want a good laugh and a very good meal, I would try the 50s Primetime Cafe. You have great comfort food. You have your fun cousins forcing you to sing I'm a Little Teapot. It makes for a great time. Just go there, get in the spirit, and have some fun. It's a great place to spend some time and hang out and, of course, get some good food as well. Outside of the theme parks, Downtown Disney has some of the best dining and nighttime activities on properties. House of Blues has great food. They've got live music every night. they got blues, jazz, country, rock. The food is kind of a Mississippi Delta kind of cuisine. Very, very unique food items. I really, really enjoy eating there. 
Uh, if you go on Sunday, they have this a gospel brunch, which is a lot of fun. There's also a separate music there, music venue there. They do have a lot of live bands at night. Um, very, very good time. Highly recommend House of Blues. Other places to eat, if you want some of the food, maybe without all the entertainment aspect, Bongo's Cuban Cafe. Uh, it's owned by Gloria Estefan. You've got a kind of Cuban cuisine, a lot of great Latin music, a lot, a lot of fun as well. Planet Hollywood. You know, you, th- you've seen them around in other places. I don't, not highest on my list, but it's got pretty good food. Uh, it's got a great atmosphere. And, and again, if you're going there on a budget, it's not going to break the bank. Raglan Road. I would be remiss if I did not mention Raglan Road because we all know that it has great, great food, um, wonderful music at night and atmosphere. You don't need to be 21 to get in um, again. But if you want do want to partake in some of their adult beverages, they have a huge beer selection. It is definitely one of these, you know, get up and dance, fun, interactive kind of places. But I think if I had to say the best of the best places to eat on property for a good time, not going to break the bank, you know, all around fun, I'd probably send you over to Epcot for the beer garden in Germany because you could have a great time. Again, good adult beverages if you're over 21. And again, it won't break the bank with lunch and dinner buffets ranging from 20 to $24 per person for lunch and dinner. The food is excellent. Uh, I recommend the pork schnitzel and hunter sauce. And there's lots of great live entertainment. There's native performers from Bavaria playing tubas, cowbells, musical sauce. You can get up. You can dance. You don't have to worry about taking a bus anywhere. You're right there in the theme park already. It's definitely, definitely a lot of fun. And I love World Showcase, too. You know, you can go there at night. You can have a nice dinner. You can spend some time. Again, for for you who's over 21, you can have a drink or two. And again, in come out, you can enjoy World Showcase, you can enjoy Illuminations. Walking around World Showcase at night is one of my favorite activities to do. Just browsing the shops, you know, having a good time, kind of sampling food and beverages from around the different countries. Um, so that would be my recommendation. Um, and I figured as long as I'm talking about Germany and as long as I'm getting all excited about it, we might as well throw a little Germany trivia in here as well. Because I think what the Germany Pavilion is one of the most beautiful ones in all of World Showcase. And as you can tell, it was themed after a Bavarian village. It was inspired by a 16th century town of Rothenburg. And that central Platz, which is known as, which is German for plaza, has a wonderful sculpture of St. George and the dragon. Now, St. George is actually the patron saint of soldiers, chivalry, and Germany, and you can find monuments to him throughout Bavaria. Uh, the facade of the bookshop was inspired by the Kaufhaus, a 16th century merchant's hall in Freiburg in the Black Forest. And you can find statues all over the building recalling the rule of the Habsburg emperors. And actually, this exterior facade was copied from a 400-year-old town hall in Romsburg Square in Frankfurt. And did you know that Germany, you should did you know, did you know that Germany has the highest number of shops of any of the World Showcase pavilions? They've got chocolate stores, wine store, a china store, crystal, toy, and of course, no German town would be complete without the requisite clock shop. If you look very carefully, all the stores inside Germany are designed to be architecturally different rooms inside of a house. Take a look as you walk through and you'll see that each room is themed according to the merchandise which is sold inside. For example, wine is sold down in the wine cellar. And food is sold in the kitchen, works of art are sold out of the attic, and Christmas decorations are purchased in the very warm and inviting living room. And here's another did you know. The glass and porcelain shop is one of only eight outlets worldwide to carry a complete collection of Hummel figures. As you exit the pavilion, 
Take a look to the left, where you see a stone building located alongside the Beer Garden restaurant. That was supposed to be home to a Rhine River attraction, which was going to take guests on a cruise through the German countryside. It was going to be both educational and entertaining and showcase the cultural heritage of Germany's past and present. Now, the building is still there today, but unfortunately, it's really just used as a workshop uh, for storage. They also use it as a rehearsal studio for performers in World Showcase. And I think personally, it's a shame that this attraction was never built. So there's a, uh, a slight trivia tangent to the best of the best tangent to Jessica's email. Our final question this week comes from Ed, who says, I've visited Disney World many times, but just recently noticed in the Magic Kingdom what looks like a Chinese symbol on Walt Disney's tie. Is it so? And if so, what does it mean? Thanks, Ed Mueller. Ed, that's a great question and very, very observant of you. You are talking about, obviously, the partner's bronze statue of Walt and Mickey located in the central hub of the Magic Kingdom. And it actually has a lot of great little details on it. Have you ever noticed his ring, for example? Take a close look, see if you can identify what kind of ring that is. Anyway, the symbol on Walt's tie is actually not a Chinese symbol, but instead is letters. And it's S-T-R, which refers to the Smoke Tree Ranch, a development in Palm Springs, California, where he had a vacation home. So, what did Walt Disney, the man who single-handedly invented the theme park, do for fun? That's right, he'd go to Palm Springs, California, where he and his wife Lillian bought their first home in 1948 at the very upscale Smoke Tree Ranch. The resort was very, very private. Membership was only available if a person was recommended by a committee. When Walt petitioned the community, many on the board didn't want that kind of Hollywood lifestyle that they thought he was going to bring in into their quiet retreat. So... In order to prove his interest in the ranch itself and not you know, bringing in that kind of an element, he had his Imagineers design and construct three cottages on the ranch, prompting approval by the committee. These Disney cottages still stand today, as does the Walt Disney Hall, which is a meeting and banquet facility that sits by the pool not far from one of his favorite bowling greens. At the ranch, Walt was known to do things like ride on horseback, play lawn bowling, and often get some of his neighbors to invest in some crazy idea for an amusement park. So Walt uh, enjoyed the ranch so much that he often, often wore a real necktie uh, pin emblazoned with the STR emblem leading to the creation of it on the partner's statue. Ed, thanks again for the great question and picking up on that neat little detail. You all know how much I enjoy some of those hidden treasures and little details, and it's very, very observant to find that. And I'll see if I can post a picture of uh, the Smoke Tree Ranch tie tack in our show notes. I hope you enjoyed some of those breaks from the questions with a little bit of trivia and fun facts thrown in. But remember, if you have a question, you could send it over to Lou at WDWRadio.com or call our voicemail anytime at 206-202-4WDW. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. 
I hope you liked what I gave you on this first full show. And like I said last week, because this show is for you, I need to know what you think, what you like, what you didn't like. By all means, let me know via email or voicemail or post on the WDW Radio message forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Don't forget, you can also go to WDWRadio.com for more information as well as show notes and links to everything I covered on the show. I want to say thank you again to Jonathan Dichter for not only his great intro, but his segment on the voices behind the magic and hope you all enjoyed that. A couple of other little bits of housekeeping that I want to mention. I did mention briefly the magic meet that I attended last year and I'm really looking forward to going to this year. This is a gathering of Disney fans from all around the country in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's going to take place on Saturday, July 14th, 2007. I'm going to be there. There's going to be plenty of other special guests, including Deb Wills, Steve Barrett, Mike Scopa, and so, so many more. Head on over to magicmeets.com for more information. Be sure you register because it is going to sell out and it's going to sell out fast. It is a great time and hope you can make it out to that as well. From November 3rd through November 10th, 2007, I'll be cruising along with Margaret Tinkerbell Carey on the Disney Magic for a week-long cruise for trivia and fun on the high seas. Definitely want you to come by DisneyWorldTrivia.com slash cruise for more information. It is going to be a great time. There's all kinds of special events planned, including high tea with Tinkerbell, Pirates-themed events, trivia games, book signings, contests, private dinners, castaway key parties, and so, so much more. Rooms are booking up fast. I should say state rooms are booking up fast. But I get my lingo right or they will throw me overboard. So come on over and check it out. And by all means, come on over, fill out the forms for your free, no obligation quote, and look for a very special announcement about this cruise coming in the next few weeks. Want to mention a couple of friends of the show I want to say thanks to as well. John Corigliano from MouseTimes.com. He has a great website as well as video downloads and an audio and video podcast you should check out. As well as my friends over at WDWToday.com. Matt Hotchberg, Mike Newell, Mike Scopa, and yes, even Len Testa. Want to say hi to those guys and check out that show as well. I also want to say hi to Eric and Dan over at the Mouse Guest Podcast as well as everybody over at the Let's Talk About Disney Podcast. Be sure you check out Jeff Pepper's 2719hyperion.blogspot.com for some great articles and information about Walt Disney World. I want to thank you all for tuning in again and for listening to the show. Again, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please let me know. Look forward to some more new segments coming up, as well as special guests that I'm going to have over the next few weeks. Lots of exciting things to come on the WDW Radio Show. So thanks again for tuning in. Look forward to seeing you next week. See ya! Uh, Hardy ho there, uh, Lou. I was just uh, letting you know that uh, I'm uh, going to be listening on your program. Uh, you know who this is, Kermit the Frog. I'm uh, sitting at my computer and I uh, just noticed your WDW radio program. I will be listening, so uh, keep in touch. Take care. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's me, John, from MouseTimes.com. I just wanted to uh, say a fantastic opening show. Uh, really great um soundbite that you have right at the beginning, you're like, you know, like you're tuning in an FM station, I was really impressed by that, but uh, definitely looking forward to this brand new show, and, and uh, you know, I wanted to thank you again for coming off, coming on my show last week, and, uh, but just to let you know, I'm actually uh, getting ready to head on out to, uh, to the airport to 
fly out to Disneyland tomorrow. So uh, just wanted to let you know, and uh, hopefully you have a great day. Bye-bye.